0: What is going on, everybody? We are back with another Hidden Falls Media Experience episode today. And I am joined by the money master, Josh Litauer. But before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you of the fee. We don't run ads, we don't pitch you any BS course of anything you don't need because let's face it, there's a million marketing courses out there and they all suck anyway. But what we do bring you is the best guess and the highest quality information help you elevate your life, reach that new standard, and just become a better version of yourself. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? So if you found a nugget of wisdom today, any level of insight, or you just enjoyed uh, hearing Josh and I banter back and forth a little bit about the power of money and what it can do inside your life and how to actually use money for your life to get to where you want to go, leave us a review, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. Not only helps us get ranked, but it also helps elevate Josh and his platform as well. They're so, all of our guests are so gracious with their time guys, and it's truly, truly a blessing to have them on. So go give them some love, make sure you go follow them. So today, Josh, we are gonna be talking about money, everybody's favorite subject online. And it seems like every fake entrepreneur or every social media guru seems to have an infinite supply and a printer in their back office, just kind of schlepping it out. How? What is? I I don't wanna ask the dumb question of like, what is money and how do we use it? But walking through, it's, it's so critical for us as business owners to succeed and understand how money works. So how, how do we start to kind of put some, some ideas around this? And what are the right and wrong ways that we can use money in our business?
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And Alex, appreciate you having
0: me on, man. I, I'm really getting to enjoy doing
1: this uh, and just sharing some knowledge with people. Like, you know, like you said in your intro, man, it's like uh, we don't want to promote any BS. Like there's plenty of plenty of information out there, but we just want to bring, you know, some some true stories, real life and you know facts that people can actually benefit from. So, you know, business, you know, both from a, a business and personal standpoint, we can kind of money in, in the even two categories there. You have the business side of money and then you have the personal stuff. It's like what do people do on the personal finance side. As well, but right, money is just a tool, right? And I actually grew up; I had to change my mindset around money a lot. Like I know you work with people on their psychology around, you know, on on marketing and things like that. So, likewise, when it comes to money, money is a very psychological tool that that can be used both for great good and for great harm, right? So, I grew up in a very scarcity mindset. Like, there's only so much money out there. There's only so much opportunity out there. Um, and what I've come to find is that's just not true. Right? So we we as humans and as, as business people can go out and create opportunity, and money is just a tool and a vehicle to go out and do that. Now, I think one of the things that we see so often is that with with what money people do have is they f- they flex it and show it off, you know in a way that may not actually benefit them or their families, their legacy long term. and so, you know, I, I always want to start with the perspective of money is just a tool and a resource to be used to further greater good in our in our communities and in our world, right? And so if you came from the perspective of you know, you know rich people, rich people are greedy or you know they had to cheat in their way to get there, that's a false mindset we've got to start working through because money can be one of the greatest tools for good in the world, right? And you and I are a part of a, an awesome group called Arate where excellence is the standard, right? and where, we are a force for good in the world of business. And there's a lot of people within Arte who make a significant amount of money, you know, but that's being used for, for the good of humanity, right? And so I always want to approach a money mindset from the standard of it's a resource and a tool to be used for creating good in your family and then in your community and then in, the, in the world at large. So that's the perspective I always approach, you know, any topic about money with.
0: Now, Josh, how did you, you said you went through a, like a mental shift with your identity on that. Was that out of necessity? Was that out of um, like a singular circumstance or was it a progression of just seeing over time that you needed to change that mindset?
1: Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. I, a lot of it was exposure to. Exposure to a different world, right? So, like, because I grew up in a scarcity mindset, like we didn't grow up with money, right? Like there was, uh, and there was a lot of lack around that. Like the the language and the verbiage that was even given to us as children was, money doesn't grow on trees. Like a penny saved is a penny earned. Uh, you know, even even going as far as saying like, you know, money is money is the root of all evil. Uh, and it's like, well, those things are not necessarily true, right? those are those are principles that can be carried out, and they create this scarcity mindset. so, like as i as I got older and I was exposed to people who had accumulated wealth, you know, and had conversations with them, I realized that they were really great people and who had a great heart for their communities. and because of the tool and the resources that they had built using the money they accumulated, they actually were able to do significant good in the community. And so then I started to recognize, You know money is truly just a personality multiplier right so if you're a bad person with money you're bad things with it right but if you're a good person with money then you'll do the opposite and you'll create good things right and so that's when i started to recognize i'm like i believe myself to be a good person right you know and i want to do good in the world i want to create a long lasting legacy for myself and for my family and that's a good thing right so now in order to do that on a large scale then I need money as a resource and tool to do that. right? So there had to be a shift somewhere along the lines. So I don't know that it was a singular event as much as it was exposure to a world where there was plenty of opportunity and there was plenty of money to go around. Uh, and that opened my eyes to say like, hey, this is actually a really good thing. And a lot of good can be done by having money as a resource to then go out and then do good in the world.
0: So how do we actually start to use money to our advantage? right? That seems to be once we once we peel back that onion of fake entrepreneurship and fake social gurus it seems to be the question that everybody wants the answer to and specifically my audience which is how do we how do we use money to not only better our business but better our personal lives because of the businesses that we're creating sure yeah absolutely i think one of the number one
1: problems that we see is that people are not saving or making nearly enough, right? So let's start on the saving side of things. You know, most people have set a standard, and this was me too, right? They had set a standard for themselves of saving, you know, 5% of their monthly income towards like just a cash savings of some kind. Let's say you're just putting in a savings vehicle in your bank account. Well, if you look at that from a grand standpoint, I mean, like 5% of your income is very insignificant. And in the long run, it's not going to end up getting you to the place that you're going to want to go. So by doing that, you know, and this is just a pattern we've noticed, you know, around the around the country, Americans are great at manufacturing, but the number one thing they manufacture is debt, right? <laughs> so it's one of the one of the that's one of the biggest problems is like, we're not saving nearly enough money. And then on the on the other side of that is we're putting ourselves in a position where we're we're leveraging our, you know, we're being leveraged against, you know, we're borrowing money from other people in order to either look a certain way or live a certain lifestyle and it ends up putting us in a really bad position long-term, right? So number one thing that I always encourage people, you know, whether you're, I mean, whether you're 18, fresh out of high school and like just trying to get yourself on your feet or you're already, you know, maybe you know, 30, 35 years old. And then like, you got your feet under you a little bit, you got a family, you're building, you know, you're building your family. And now you're starting to think long-term. It's like, we've got to start saving more money, you know? And I think 2020 was an interesting year for that because people realized like they lost jobs, their businesses were shut down. um, They lost, you know, their client base all of a sudden started pulling back out and saying, Hey, we can't, We can't afford to do this anymore. And people had to start relying on their savings in order to like float, be able to float, you know, a couple months at a time. And people are hurting, right? People are realizing like, I did not save nearly enough. Like a thousand dollar nest egg is not a nest egg. That's not an emergency fund. Like it doesn't, that does not last, right? And so then they start leveraging the other direction, right? Now it's like, I'm in more credit card debt. Maybe I had you know, bought a BMW or an Audi when I really should have stuck with the Honda for another couple of years. Like there's all these things that start piling up on you. So saving money is the number one thing that I always encourage people is like, whether you're 18, you know, or 30, doesn't matter. Start
0: saving now and save more than you think you need to. Hmm. So does that same principle even apply within a business? Absolutely.
1: I mean, I think that's one of the things that can happen even within a business too, is people start leveraging themselves and not keeping, not staying enough cash flow positive mm-hmm. early on, especially if you think young entrepreneur, right? Young entrepreneurs are really classic for this, right? You have, you have a new business, you're the business owner. So you can pay yourself whatever, whatever reasonable salary that you want, right? Which means let's say you've got a business, it's you and a buddy, you know, who are doing the business and you've got, you're bringing in 20,000 a month in revenue, your overhead's 2,000 you're going to pay your buddy, you know, five grand a month, which is great for him. And you're going to keep the other 14, right? Well, if you do that long enough, eventually when things take a dip, like you still have overhead costs, like you're still going to have to cover your overhead. So it's like, if you pay yourself a reasonable salary of 14,000, you know, and the other seven goes towards, you know, your buddy's salary and then overhead, and then you, the market tanks, right? And it's like, all of a sudden, you're, you're only doing seven grand a month, you're not getting paid, and your business is not cash flow positive anymore, right? So I think there's some humility that needs to come in there at some point, say like, hey, we're starting to do well, like we're starting to actually make some income, but lowering, lowering your own overhead by keeping as much money pushed back into the business as possible. So that when the market you know when you're you know maybe your market takes a little bit of a dip you know like a lot of people saw during this pandemic your cash flow positive enough that you can float that without having to significantly cut back on your lifestyle or in the other case it's like having to cut back on your employees you know either laying them off um, or cutting back on their salaries right so staying cash flow positive in a business and playing as conservative as you can is definitely a good idea especially early on in the you know, business life cycle.
0: That's awesome. How do we start to make money work for ourselves and work for <laughs> us and not just be this, um, this very fleeting thing in our lives?
1: Yeah. I think one of the big things is, like I said, savings is the start of it, right? But where are you saving that money? Right. And say finding vehicles that are going to actually return you money, uh, as it as it you know is being saved right, so you're getting some kind of return on an investment right, and there are tons of investment vehicles that we could talk about, as well as different tax advantages for different types of vehicles. But the big thing to consider is: is your money actually working for you? Is it growing? You know, is it invested in something that is actually going to return money and put it back in your pocket right? And so, when we look at just a standard bank account, for example, uh, most bank accounts earn between half a percent and one percent. Not much more than that. Like if you get a you may see these banks that advertise a performance savings account. And like that performance savings is like maybe one and a half or two percent. It's like you're not even outpacing inflation at that point. You know, inflation's real inflation is actually, you know, they'll advertise it as three percent, but it's it's greater than that, right? If you look at actual cost of product as it goes up over year over year, you're really looking at an inflation of closer to seven to nine percent, which means for you to get a return on, you know, an actual, to keep up with inflation, your return on your investment has to be somewhere between seven and 10% to keep up with inflation, not just to do really well. Right. And so most people are saving in bank accounts that are earning less than 1% and then they're leveraging themselves, right. The other direction and spending money on credit cards or, you know, maybe financing a really nice vehicle or something like that at 10% and up. Right. So you're putting, it's, you're having the opposite effect on yourself, right. by, leveraging really high interest versus not utilizing a savings vehicle that's actually going to grow, uh, grow with you. Right. So I always, I always look for vehicles that are going to actually return some level of interest back to me. Um, and there's plenty of them out there, you know, that'll return you anywhere from five to 15%, right. Depending on what situation you're in. So, but that's not, that's a big thing to think about is not just putting it in a cash savings in the bank, but also looking at investable places to put your money that it's actually going to return you something.
0: I love that. That's really, really good. It It's a problem I struggled with too. I've always been told, right? You need to make sure that you're saving money on the side, but it's like, okay, well, that's not the entrepreneurship lifestyle at times, right? There's times you're pulling every penny you can possibly find, scrumming through the couch, scrumming through the car just to find a few extra quarters, just to be able to make it by at times. So mm-hmm. I I see both sides of it really clearly. And I I mean, I know you do too, because you've walked mm-hmm. that line, you've been there. It's not always easy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and I'll even give you a little perspective too. So when I really started my entrepreneurial journey and started even the journey of getting my personal finances in order, um, my past, in a past life, I was, I've competed professionally in CrossFit. And uh, during that time, I was completely sponsored. So I didn't have any, I didn't cover any of my own expenses, right? So Now, when I got out of that, I cut off all of like any form of like support that I had, right? So I actually started my journey of saving money. I was making about, I was a personal trainer uh, and I was making about $900 to $1,000 a month, uh, which is nothing. Like, I mean, you can't live on $900,000 a month. That's well below the poverty line. Um, But that's when I started to save. And I I made up in my mind, I said, no matter what, no matter how small, I'm going to save something, right? So I started at $10 a week. I was like, can I save 10 bucks a week? And then that started to grow, right? So then I was like, all right, I'm good now. Like, let's go to 25, let's go to a hundred. Let's go to more than that, right? And so it started to grow from there, but I built the habit of saving early. So even when I was dead broke and had like nothing to my name, you know? um, Like I can remember swiping my debit card and being like, I'm pretty sure that's an overcharge fee coming my way. Like, (laughs) you know, I can remember that day. And honestly, it wasn't even that long ago, um, you know, but I put in the habit Of going ahead and starting that savings. And it's made an absolute world of a difference for me, you know, to then to be in a position now where it's like, I'm saving not just that meager, like, you know, one to five percent of my income. I can actually save upwards of 25 to 30% of my income into a vehicle that's going to continue to grow later on and put myself in a much better position, right? But it took some level, this is kind of another like psychology thing. It takes some level of humility to not try and keep up with Joneses. And know that like you're setting yourself up for long-term success by creating the habit of saving now. And I think that's something that a lot of young entrepreneurs and whether, again, whether you're an entrepreneur or what I would call an intrapreneur, right, operating within a business, if you're not creating that habit now, it's going to end up, it could end up hurting you later.
0: What are some of the hidden habits that multimillionaires and billionaires have that we don't really see very often or not a lot of people talk about, but are critically important? Yeah, I think, I think one, if you look at
1: the people, when when Instagram, Instagram is not helpful when it comes to like looking at millionaires, right?
0: Instagram is not helpful for a lot of things, my man. It really is not,
1: you know, it's like, Everybody looks really fit on Instagram. Everybody looks like they're making millions of dollars on Instagram. It's just not the case. you know. Uh, I know plenty of people who actually make millions of dollars, and you would never guess it. right? And I think that's something that is probably a hidden secret of most millionaires is like most of them, before they ever started living a lifestyle that reflected how much money they had, they, they were millionaires long before that, right you know? And uh, I think that's something to always keep in mind is like the people who Truly are like, and there's, a, let's, well, let's frame this up. Okay. There's a difference between being rich and being wealthy, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I think being rich is having, you may have good cash flow, right? So, it's like you may make, let's say you make half a million dollars a year, but you're burning all half a million, right? You're not wealthy. You may be rich because, like, you have all, by all looks and appearances, you've got the house, you've got the car, maybe you have the family, maybe you've got like, I don't know, you have the lifestyle. So it looks like you're really, it looks like you're wealthy, but you're rich. And there's very, there's a big difference. Wealthy. When I look at wealth, like wealth is long-term that's lasting. Like if you were to dis, if you were to disappear tomorrow, like your family is still set for life. Like you've got a legacy, you've got something set up for your future. Right. And so one of the habits of those who are truly wealthy is a, for one, the money that they put, that they're putting out into the world is returning them something. Right. So some form of cash flow asset, um, some form of savings vehicle that's actually returning them an interest, right? An actual investment in um, whether it's the stock market or other businesses, or maybe it's investing in their own business, but they're putting their money to work and they're not letting, they're not using that as leverage to live a lifestyle, right? So I think that's one of the major things, you know, it's looking at like assets versus liabilities, you know, and you, maybe your audience is familiar with that a little bit. It's like a liability is something that's gonna take money out of your pocket and not return it, right? Now, assets then are something that you put money into and they return you something, whether it's equity, it's actual cash flow, it's dividends, something of that nature. But when you're looking at the difference between, like, hey, how do wealthy people actually think? They're thinking, what can I put my money to work in that's gonna return me something? right? So they're looking for asset accumulation versus can I live a certain, a certain lifestyle, right?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I just didn't know if there was a, you, you hear and you see all these different people have different strategies for it. And with you sure. being in such a unique position to be um, surrounded by a lot of these individuals mm-hmm. at a different a different context than what most people would see, because it's one thing to front your financials to somebody, but it's another thing when you're actually sitting there looking at the L statement saying like, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a different conversation a different sure. level of surrealism than just, Hey, this is what I'm flexing on social media or even what I'm flexing in front of my family or friends just to keep up with that appearance for them.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly right. And, you know, and I think, um, you know, I think, I think a large part of that too, again, it takes some level of humility, right. Is, along the way is accepting like, Hey, I may not look like I'm as far ahead as I actually am, but it would be far better. Like, let's think long-term here. It would be far better to look, look less wealthy than you actually are than to look more wealthy than you actually are. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just the reality of it. Right now, there's always different perspectives. I'm going to I'm going to throw a different perspective out here for just a second. Okay. Right. Maybe you're in a position where you do really high ticket sales and you're specifically targeting people who have already accumulated a large amount of wealth. And it actually pays you. It's better for you to have a country club membership and drive a nice vehicle because it puts you in the room with people who are actually your clients and to where those are actually business worthwhile business expenses, right? That's, that is something to consider, right? If that's your market, but if your market, let's say for example, if you're like, you do a lot of econ business, if your market is people who are spending 10 to $15 on a product, you're not talking about having to look and live a certain lifestyle in order to appeal to them. Right. Because they're not like, they're not looking at being like Alex drives a Lambo. So clearly he's in the market that I'm in. Right. They're looking at that being like, look at this guy flexing on the gram, like for no reason, you know, like he's just taking my money and blowing it on Lamborghinis. Like that doesn't necessarily equate. Right. So again, kind of depends on your, depends on your market where it's like, like having a nice vehicle in a country club membership could be valuable if that's your market. But if it's not your market, there's no sense in going that direction and then over leveraging yourself to look a certain way. Is that does that make sense? Like, yeah. so if you're if you're 21 and you got an e-com store and you just did 100 grand in a month and you went out and bought a Lamborghini or leased a Lamborghini, that makes no sense. No 21 year old. This is opinion, right? Yeah. If you're a 21 year old who just hit a big one month, you should not go buy a Lambo. <laughs> you know. So again, I've perspective, but, those, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we see that all all the time. You know, and quite honestly, there are some people, there's a guy within Arte, I'll just use an an example. There's a guy in Arte who is only about 23 years old, but he personally has done well over, uh, well over three or $4 million in sales over the past couple of years, and he has a Lambo. He's 23 years old, he's very responsible. He has an actual company that makes a lot of money, right? So in that case, it's like, and he's also marketing himself and working in a category of people, other high-level entrepreneurs, that are going to look at him and be like, he's completely legitimate. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, um, so again, there's a little bit of perspective, right? I think the big thing is still right. <laughs> you know, if you make a hundred grand, there's no need for you to have a Lambo. That just doesn't make financially, it makes no sense. Right. It would be much better. It'd be much better to be car poor and cash rich than it would be to be the opposite. hundred percent.
0: So What do you think about, so you're talking about different vehicles to continually grow wealth. What are some of the ones that don't require time? Because I see that that's a big issue for people is they'll say, okay, I just accumulated all this money and I want to invest it into a business that I want to grow. And I'm sitting here thinking and watching all of this happen. And I'm like, you just complained for the last four to five years about how tough it was to build a business how it sucked up all your time you had no time for girlfriend wife kids to do the things you want to do and yet you're going to take all that hard-earned capital that you just spent all this time energy and effort to get and you're going to dump it right back into something that you personally don't enjoy Right, so I'm seeing like there's a huge discount yeah. like if if we're talking about money being a vehicle to not and money will never make you happy, but it will give you the opportunity and the experiences to live the life that you want to live. So why would you take all that capital that you just have and put it into something that's not going to return your happiness to you in any way?
1: Sure, yeah, so from an investment standpoint, his is actually a Warren Buffett principle that I really like. Warren Buffett invests in things that he knows, right? So a lot of that's going to that's going to help a lot of people out when it comes to where do you put your money? Right. It's like, if you have zero faith in the stock market, I'm not going to tell you to go put your money in the stock market because you don't believe in it. You're going to be worried about it constantly. You know, and you're going to be like, you're going to spend way more time than you need to watching it and hoping for the best. Right Mm -hmm. now, if you're, you know, maybe you're like, I totally believe in the stock market. If I get a seven, if I get a 7% return for the next 40 years, I'll be thrilled. Like, and you're good to just set it and forget it. Then do that. Right. Right. Now, some people are like, all I want to do is like, I want cash flow real estate properties. Great. Save up enough capital to get your first one started, buy it, flip it, rent it out, refinance and go start over. Right. And keep doing that. Right. So it's like, there's so many different investment strategies, but the number one thing that I always tell people is like, invest in something that you know, um, because that's something that you're going to be the most confident in, right? If you're not confident in it, it's not going to yield you the return that you want, nor like you said, too, is it going to yield you the actual peace and satisfaction that you want either, right? So it's like I personally don't have I have a little bit in bitcoin, but I don't I don't sink a lot of money into bitcoin because I don't have a tremendous amount of faith that it's going to yield me the return that I actually want and it's so volatile for me personally. Now I'm not saying you shouldn't do this, right? Some people may and you, that may be your prerogative. It's just not mine personally. Right? Is it's so volatile for me, I don't want to I don't want to accept that risk right now. So now, on the flip side, it's like I'm looking for cash flow properties, right? And some of you may be like, hey, no way. I'm never doing a house flip. I'm never having a rental property. Tenants are like, I would hate to have tenants. And that's fine, right? It's what are you comfortable with? And what is going to actually yield you the return that you want, right? And so I think there's a lot of options. And like you said, too, there's, you know, it's like money may not buy you happiness but it can provide you the resources that you need to live the lifestyle you want and to live the legacy that you want. Right. You know, we're not just talking about lifestyle itself. We're talking about what are you going to create from the wealthy? You, you know, what kind of legacy you're going to leave behind. Right. And there's so many different things to consider there. It's like, you know, and even you mentioned like, is there places you could just set it and forget it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you could put all of your money into a Roth IRA or into a 401k or, you know, like there's so many different types of vehicles, you know, you could dump all your money into that, set it and forget it. And then, hope for the best. And like, and if that brings you enough, enough peace, then great do that. You know, but I think a lot of it comes down to investing in what you know, and then sticking and then being confident in whatever you choose. Right. Hmm.
0: I like that a lot. So I've always been told that, uh, and this comes from my grandfather that it, if it's Roth IRA or bust, (laughs) And that there's no other, any other form of investing is practically you're just flushing your money down the toilet. Sure. It's going back to like the mindset kind of forms around what we, what we grew up with and what we were taught about money and how it works for us or against us and what these systems are. I just think it's interesting to hear different people's perspectives on how they, how they've utilized their circumstances to how they grew up, what their mindset was around it and what it took for them to get to that next spot. And I think like what had happened with you, Josh, was that it it required that mindset shift around what, what money is and that the fact it is emotional for a lot of people. And even though you don't want it to be, it is. And the fact that yep. once we change our identity and our belief system around what it is and what it can do for us, a lot of great things can start to happen. Totally agree. And, you know,
1: I think something that too, that happened in 2020, uh, through this, you know, whole pandemic, and regardless of your perspective on the pandemic, one of the things that has been brought to the forefront is a massive amount of fear that people have towards where we're currently at in the future, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, whether whether you're maybe your perspective is like, COVID is gonna, uh, you know, affect everybody. It's killing millions of people, you know, and you're like, I just need to stay inside and not go out. I need to mask up everywhere that I go. Like, if that's your perspective, then that's like. So long as you own that, that's your perspective, that's, that's fine, right? You know, and the same is true on an investment standpoint too. It's like people get so scared of their money or what their money could possibly do for them or potentially losing all of it, right? Your fear dictates a lot of what you actually do you know, from a lifestyle standpoint and what you do with your money, right? So it's like, go back to the COVID example. It's like, I know plenty of people who have not left their home in 10 months because they're scared, mm-hmm. right? You know, Now I leave my home you know, and I accept that coronavirus is a real thing and that, you know, wearing a mask may or may not help me. I don't know. Right. (laughs) You know, but I have accepted the risk that if I go out and live my life, there's a potential that I could be, I could catch an illness and I could pass away from that. I accept that risk because I don't also want to miss the opportunity of doing my life. Right. I don't want to miss the opportunity of my life. Right. So investing can be a a lot, can be very similar in, in a lot of ways is people have this grand fear that something is going to happen to their money. Right. It's like, well, money is actually, money is a tool that can be, you can, you can build it up. You can lose it. You can grow it again. Like it, was, it it's just a tool that can come, you know, that's very free, very free flowing. Right. But most people's investment strategy is tied to fear. It's not tied to like a vision for the future. It's not tied to like, what could this actually provide me? It's tied back to fear. So anytime I talk to somebody and they're like, like, and they may have great cash flow. They're like, I make 10 grand a month. And like, that's you know, after tax 10 grand a month, my living expenses are only 4,000. I'm literally saving $6,000 a month into a bank account because it sounds really, you know, but they're fearful. they're fearful that if they put it somewhere else, they could potentially lose it. Right. And that, that can be a very limiting mindset in a lot of ways, you know, from a long-term standpoint, it's like you're not putting your money to work by letting it sit there in the bank. It's like burying it in the ground, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, so our emotions and our fear dictates our behaviors in a lot of ways. And I think 2020 really showed that to a lot of people.
0: Josh, I know we're running out of time and I've, I have one last question for you and I've asked this to the last few guests uh, specifically for the podcast will be airing at the beginning of 2021. If you had, and this is a multi-part question, if you had a prayer for the world, what would it be? And if you had a prayer for your community or those closest to you, what would it be? Yeah, I think it's going to be very similar,
1: Uh, you know, and I I have a very uh, I'm a I'm a Bible believing man. Right. Uh, You know, I've been a believer my entire life. Um, The Bible specifically, that's that's the book that I that's the scripture that I read and believe in. Right. The Bible specifically outlines 365 times and talks about fear and not fearing. Right. And so 2020 has been a year, like I just said, it's been a year filled with fear um, and uncertainty. And so I would, I would encourage that my prayer for people moving into 2021 is living a life that is not bound up by fear. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my faith for me, my belief in God, my belief in what he's done for the world. Uh, I believe that God has already overcome the world. So no matter what is, what is ahead of us, we've already overcome it. Right. So he's already gone out on our behalf and fought all the, you know, the powers and the demons and the things that are already out there. He's already done that and overcome. So for me, I would pray that for people, no matter what your situation is, is that you would take faith in that and that you would live in a life that that not, is not bound up by fear um, as we move into 2021, right? And I think if we do that, 2021 is going to be an, an awesome year. I think we're going to have an explosion of growth. I think businesses all over are going to see, you know, just a massive influx of new business coming in. Uh, I think people are really going to start to enjoy their lives. They're going to start to go out Um, and live the life that they were designed to live and not be so caught up in uh, external circumstances going on around them. So that would be my prayer, both to my immediate, my family closest to me, and of course, to the community and world at large.
0: I love it. Josh, where can people find you? Where can they learn more about your content?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, At Josh underscore Lit Tower is my handle on Instagram. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. You can find me on Facebook too, same handle. Um, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. I'm very, very active on the platform, so uh, certainly come interact with me there. If you, you know, if you're listening, you know, I would love to interact with you personally. Feel free to shoot me a message, and you know, I'm happy to answer any questions too.
0: I love it, Josh. Thank you so much for being on board today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Alex that wraps it up today boys and girls however you identify whatever you identify as that's the end of the episode but before we wrap it up i just want to remind you of the fee once again i don't run any type of bs marketing product to you we don't sell anything to you that you don't need this is strictly here for your benefit and for the better of humanity so Because of that, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to go hit that subscribe button. Make sure you give us a review on Apple iTunes. It's not only how we help get ranked, but it's also how our guests get more exposure to you awesome people out there as well. Have a great day, guys, and I'll catch you in the next episode.